Welcome to Word from the Mountaintop, a weekly inspirational podcast brought to you from the Mountain Luther Parish. Today's Word of the Lord will be shared by Pastor Jason or Pastor Jess Felici. This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called over to her, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, you search our hearts, and you know us. Teach us to search and to know your heart, so that your commandment of love might guide all of our actions and all of our days. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to love. Amen. Eighteen years. Where were you 18 years ago? It was 2004. Some of you still had kids in school. Some of you were just welcoming grandbabies. Some of you were hoping that the last kid would get through college. You could be done with this nonsense. Eighteen years. Babies who were born in 2004, 18 years ago, are are this year beginning their senior year of high school or starting college this fall. 18 years ago, Brianna stood in this pulpit. And Pastor Craig and Pastor Wendy were just beginning as pastors in the Mountain Parish. 18 years That's how long this woman had been bent over by the spirit that grips her in today's gospel lesson. It's funny, right? When we're talking about our kids, it feels like a a minute has gone by, those 18 years. But when you think about this woman bent over to face the ground every day, having to contort her body, to make eye contact with the person from whom she's buying in the market. 18 years may as well be a lifetime. 
18 years. We already know that in Jesus' day, women were considered less than others, first owned by their fathers and then passed as property to their husbands. It's not hard for us to imagine that people didn't bother to make eye contact with this woman, that people didn't work to build a relationship with this woman who could barely make eye contact with others as, as she spent her life for nearly two decades hunched over. This unnamed woman became invisible. And, and people saw her, but they hoped no one would point her out. And they hoped that they wouldn't have the uncomfortable and unfortunate moment of having to interact with her. This unnamed woman makes her way into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. We don't know, was this a usual trip for her? Did she come every week to, to the synagogue for Sabbath? Or, or did she make her way here on this particular day because she heard rumor that Jesus would be there? We do know that this woman does not make a scene. She does not try to sneak up close to Jesus. She doesn't reach out just to touch the hem of his cloak, like in other stories. This woman is so used to being invisible by now that she just makes her way well into church and sits down. And Jesus is teaching in the synagogue that day. He's not the called pastor of that place. He is just the guest preacher. And in the middle of his message, in the middle of his teaching, he stops and he sees her. Now, let that sink in. This woman who is so used to being invisible, he sees her. And he doesn't just see her, but he makes everybody in the room around her see her. And then he claims freedom over her. And it says in the Gospel of Luke that when he laid his hands on her, she stood up straight for the first time in 18 years and immediately began glorifying and praising God. Now, I'm only 39 years old. And I can tell you that after 25 minutes of being on the floor, on my knees, with my two-year-old son doing puzzles, when I stand up, I too praise the Lord. <laughs> I can feel it in my back and in my knees and in my hips, and, and I can only imagine it gets better from here, right? So imagine the praises erupting from this woman as after 18 years, she stands straight. And not just the physical relief that she feels, but she's been restored. She has been made whole in this setting where everyone had gathered to hear the guest preacher, Jesus. Where everyone had gathered on the Sabbath to worship. She stands tall and glorifies God. Now shift perspectives with me for a minute. 
Put yourself in the shoes of Jesus' disciples or Jesus' friends. Jesus has just made a grave mistake. Not, not just one, at least two. Jesus, Jesus just touched a woman that he's not related to and made himself unclean in the synagogue. And Jesus has healed someone. He has worked on the Sabbath in the synagogue, right? That's kind of like dropping a four-letter word from the front of the church as the guest preacher. You don't do that, right? Jesus is sitting in front of everyone, and, and his disciples are probably starting to whisper to each other that something really horrible is about to go down, and no sooner than this kerfuffle starts to go among Jesus' followers and the synagogue leader, the called and ordained pastor of this here church, starts to raise a ruckus. But notice in the gospel lesson, it doesn't say that the, the synagogue leader attacks Jesus. Who does he turn his ire against? You see it? He starts to rebuke the crowd. There are six other days on which you can come here and be healed, but not on the Sabbath. This is the rule that we follow, and he, this guy's breaking it, but you all cannot let this place reign in chaos. You cannot let us descend into this pit of despair. Make it stop. Get it together, man. Now, I didn't read it quite with that force when I read the gospel lesson, right? It's easy, it's so easy for us when we're reading from Scripture to read these letters as though it's a story and we just make our way through the story and to the end and imagine the vitriol. In fact, let's go back to the Greek. That word where it says that the synagogue leader was indignant, it's a combination of, of two Greek words. It's really fascinating. Are you ready? In Greek, it is greatly afflicted. The synagogue leader is greatly afflicted. Notice, it's not the woman who was bent over, who's just been healed, that is greatly afflicted. It's the synagogue leader who is greatly afflicted with rage. He is indignant. He is incest, incensed that, that this has happened in his house of worship over which he is with keeping order and making sure that everyone is following the rules and Jesus is breaking the law of God in front of everybody. This story is relatable. This is the story of someone who's cast aside in community. Even in the community of faith, this is a story that happens in the midst of the faithful who gather on the Sabbath. This is the story of someone who people work not to notice. Now, I own, I'm a lady. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> right? We've come a long way that women are, are lifted up as leaders in the church, but there are still those that we cast as untouchable, unnoticeable, don't make us talk about them. 
not, not as full members of our community, even in the community of faith. We don't want to talk about people with mental illness. We don't want people to talk about their sexuality. That's just not something we want to discuss here. We don't want to talk about, well, incarceration or poverty or addiction or abuse or homelessness and, and all of those things, all of those things have touched our parish in the last year. All of those communities are people that we allow to live invisible among us. Because it makes us more comfortable to worship together if we don't draw attention or have to talk about it. <coughs> there are people who stay bent over and they come to worship and we let them be here we don't let them stand straight in front of God. Have you ever been around, I don't know, five, four or five-year-old where they're very verbal and they say everything that's on their mind? And you're walking through the grocery store and very loudly the four or five-year-old announces, Mom, what's wrong with that guy? And you hear the mom say, shh, don't say that. We'll talk about it later. And then you imagine the mom saying to herself in her head, please don't remember that we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> These are the invisible, bent-over people in our lives. The people we don't know how to talk about, so we just don't talk about. But this is also a story of how Jesus thinks it is so important to identify and restore the marginalized. He interrupts his sermon to see this woman and make everybody notice her and restore her in community. Jesus sees the people who are bent over or cast aside. And this is a story that is on purpose, placed in the center of worship. But this story doesn't get really uncomfortable for us until we get to the part with the synagogue leader who gets all fired up over Jesus' healing and the restoration and the praise that occurs under his roof, but not under the rules as he has been taught them and interpreted them and then taught them to everyone who gathers. It still, it still happens today. There are groups of people that we cast as unspeakable or untouchable, and, and they're welcome to worship here, but they have to play by the rules that we have all agreed to silently play by, and if they can't, then they make us very uncomfortable. <laughs> Except that Jesus is taking these rules that we've all silently agreed to, the way we have always interpreted them, and I say always in, in air quotes, right? And he tells us that we need to look at the law through the lens of God's heart. We need, 
We need to make sure that when we are interpreting the law, that we're not harming people, but we are drawing them to God's mercy and God's love. What is the rule? What is the, the law that Jesus is accused of having broken? Remember the good job, Sabbath day, and keep it holy. Look, you can all be confirmed. <laughs> Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Did Jesus break that commandment? By the letter of the law, he is to do no work. He is not to do anything. There are six days that you can come and be healed. Don't do that on the Sabbath. But what does Jesus do but take this bent over, marginalized, invisible woman, this unnamed woman, and allow her to stand straight and praise God. If that's not keeping the Sabbath day holy, I don't know. I don't know what is. <coughs> I want to be really clear here. I'm not calling the synagogue leader out for being some sort of bad guy. He doesn't go on a list of all the bad mamajamas in the Bible, right? As the oldest daughter who likes to consider herself to be the boss of the family, making sure that everybody's taken care of and nobody's going to get hurt and COVID protocols are getting followed and all that jazz, right? As someone who just likes rules, I get a little upset when I see somebody turn without their turn signal. I get mad when I see somebody speed through town. I'm going to pause the sermon right here and tell you if Emma was in the congregation right now, she'd tell you that mommy got pulled over for speeding through town today. <laughs> I was late to St. John, but I'm not a little bit. Sometimes we interpret the rules as different than the way they're supposed to be read. I fudged the speed limit a little bit today to get to church on time, and then I got to church really late. <laughs> The synagogue leader thought that he was keeping the rules the way he had always interpreted them and was not open to seeing that he needed to be pulled over and corrected. When rules are kept in a way that keeps people marginalized and shoved in closets and corners and bent over, when rules are kept in a way that it only allows us to keep things the way they have always been, but God's love doesn't get to burst in the scene, and nobody is set free from grace and mercy, here's where I tell you that God bless him, I got off free today. <laughs> and God's kingdom gets stifled. This is the story of a woman who was afflicted, but the one who ends up with the great affliction is the rule keeper because he fails to let God's love win. When we, as God's followers, as Jesus' disciples, set loose in the world, when we are interpreting the law and we are setting people free, our job is to follow the 
number one commandment, to use it as our interpretation guide for all commandments. And what is it that Jesus teaches us is the number one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. You take this commandment and you can understand God's heart for all the rest. Who is it? with rage because we're failing to look at them with God's love and God's mercy. This is the work that we're called to do as disciples. This is what we're called to do as worshiping communities. To notice who is it that is stuck bent over with the weight of our judgment or, or the weight of our inability or unwillingness to talk. When, when we are able to restore them to community and stand tall with them, praises will erupt from us like this woman who was bent over for 18 years the kingdom of God will burst on the scene. When the afflicted and the set free and the able to fully worship and glorify God are able to join us, the kingdom of God expands and we are drawn closer to God's holy presence. May we notice the afflicted, the unnoticed, the invisible, the unnamed. May we pay attention when we find ourselves greatly afflicted with rage and make sure that there isn't a call to love through that great affliction. May we be drawn to the holy work of helping Jesus set people free so that we can all stand tall in front of the cross and we can feel the relief of being made straight and praise and glorifying our risen Christ be left from us. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor. 
in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Maybe you've heard the humorous story about the pastor who was having difficulty with his assigned parking space in the church parking lot. And if you've been through Harrisonburg, you've been by one of the churches with a big surface lot. Sometimes they have a spot marked off for the pastor. Well, at this particular congregation, people parked in his spot whenever they pleased, even though there was a sign there that clearly said this space reserved. He thought that the sign needed to be clearer, so he had a different sign made, which read reserved for pastor only. Still, interestingly enough, people ignored it and parked in this space whenever they felt like it. Maybe the sign should be more forceful, he thought. So the pastor devised a more intimidating sign, one which announced, Thou shalt not park here. That sign didn't make any difference either. Finally, the pastor hit upon a sign that worked. Words that worked. In fact, nobody ever took his parking place again. The sign read, the one who parks here preaches the sermon on Sunday morning. (laughs) Now that sign worked. Now, I tell you this story because most of you probably would back up from that parking spot at the prospect of being forced into such a position to preach the sermon on Sunday morning. Now, maybe a few of you would be interested in that, but most of us would probably feel a little bit uncomfortable doing that because of a lack of experience or training in that particular type of ministry. But if that's not your ministry, then I want you to think about what is your ministry? What do you do in ministry? Because it's not just the pastor that does the ministry. This gospel reading for this morning set before us a vision of a common ministry that all of us can be a part of, that most time all of us are involved in in some way. And I would call it something like a ministry of hospitality. When you give a luncheon or dinner, Jesus said in today's gospel reading. Now that immediately my mind goes up, right? My Antenna goes up because 
we give luncheons and dinners pretty often around here. And what does Jesus say about these luncheons and dinners? Do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, and your rich neighbors. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Now, that sounds all well and good, right? We know this gospel reading pretty well. But I have to say that Jesus' vision here is quite interesting. I I would say that Jesus has never read an article on contemporary Christianity or the qualities of big, thriving churches, right? Because one of the major tenets of modern church growth of successful churches as the world deems success, like with a successful business, argues that you should choose a target audience, preferably an audience where everybody fits pretty much the same mold. For example, an author who you may have read a book by, Rick Warren, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. He also read another book in that series called The Purpose Driven Church, And he talks about his church in Southern California, Saddleback Church, and this is what he writes about their target market. He says, our target is Saddleback Sam. He is well-educated, he likes his job, he likes where he lives, health and fitness are high priorities for him and his family. He'd rather be in a large group than a small one. He is skeptical of organized religion. Interesting. He likes contemporary music. He thinks he is enjoying life better than he did five years ago. He is self-satisfied, even smug about his station in life. Even smug. That's the kind of person, Rick Warren says, his church is geared up to reach. And honestly, what church wouldn't want members like that? Because I sit here and think about it. Good job, strong family, healthy, well-educated. Gather enough people in your congregation like that and your church is going to be extremely successful as the world terms success. Now to be fair, Saddleback Church also has a number of wonderful outreach ministries. They are the home of Celebrate Recovery, a movement that reaches out to those who have hurts and addictions and destructive habits and helps them to have support and a network as they move into recovery. And we have to name the log in our own eye, right? I have yet to meet a church growth advocate, even in the ELCA, whose target audience specifically is the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. If you go to a conference about church growth, that is not going to be pushed out as your target audience. Yet those are the very people whom Jesus told us to target. And not only does Jesus talk the talk, but he walks the walk, right? Those are the very people Jesus himself ministered to in the Gospels. He didn't sit with the religious people He sat with the sinners and the tax collectors. But it's ironic, don't you think, that this is where Jesus placed his emphasis, the poor, the blind, those who are oppressed and the captives 
that needed to be freed. And yet these are the last people on earth that the average church is geared up to reach. Now, why is that? Well, our human inclinations, our human brokenness, if we're honest, and also our experience in social clubs and community organizations blinds us to this work because oftentimes we equate them in our head with the church. What ends up happening is we want to be around people who are like us. Oftentimes, the social clubs in which we're involved in are affinity groups in nature, right? If you're in the Farm Bureau, in theory, you have a farm or manage some type of farm or are interested in the industry of agriculture, right? And this is natural. We do this throughout our lives in the organizations and clubs that we're a part of. But when we translate that over to the church, that doesn't necessarily make it Christian. The church is unique. We have a very specific ministry that we have been given. Sometimes we have to think about the fact that we have a unique place. We We are the institution that is charged with proclaiming the word of God and administering the sacraments according to it. That is a very specific mission and charge that we have. But in doing that work, we cannot then let Christianity become a clubhouse. It doesn't work that way. In fact, I would argue that the church is the one institution in our society that does not exist solely for the benefit of its own members. That's the difference. Jesus is very clear on this point. If we are preaching the word and living by it, then we, as his body, are constantly reaching out to others in need. But there's one thing that we have to admit in doing this work, and that is that reaching out is not easy. It's not natural to us. It's it's much easier to sit back and to be a spectator or pass judgment on others than it is to get our hands dirty seeking to minister to the needs of others. But sitting back and being passive observers is not what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to reach out to those who cannot pay us back. That's what Jesus wants for every person in this world, rich and poor, seeing and sightless, incredibly physically abled or not. He wants all of us to find a safe place, a secure and happy place in God's family. He doesn't want anyone to be left out. The honest reality is most churches don't want people who have problems. Why? Because people who have problems sometimes cause problems. There's very few of us that want to risk being associated with those problems. 
But what does Jesus say? He says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And why will you be blessed? That's the key teaching in Jesus' parable. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If we do these things to get something out of it in this life, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. We live out Jesus' teachings to help usher in the kingdom of God. When we do that, the rewards for that are not physical, they are not material. They are spiritual. I went to a camp meeting last spring with a bunch of professional camp directors and there was I walking into the camp meeting and of course I'm director of Camp Luther, which is the unicorn of camps, right? Because it's a one-week camp and everybody who works there is volunteer. We get paid zero dollars for what we do at Camp Luther. People said, what? How do you do that? Why do you do all that? I mean, have you noticed Pastor Jess and I was was saying this at St. John and it it came to me as I was preaching. Uh, Pastor Jess and I are involved in a lot of unicorns in our ministry, right? Like we go to church conferences and we're like, and we have five churches. And everybody's like, five churches. Oh my gosh, how do you do that? And oh, and by the way, I ran a one-week church camp as volunteer for seven years. Ah, how'd you do that? Because it's meaningful. Now, I did have to clarify. I, please keep paying Pastor Jess and I for the work that we do here. We do need to eat. But the work that we do, especially at Camp Luther, the rewards for that were spiritual, right? And getting to be with kids and helping them to grow cl- closer in their relationship with the Lord, right? And sometimes when we do these ministries, we might actually receive flack for doing them. Skepticism that, oh, it won't work or these people don't deserve that ministry. But when that happens, we take heart, right? Because Jesus received the same treatment and worse in his own day for these teachings. And as my experience in ministry has gone on, I've begun to realize that when we do things that don't make sense to the world or people are skeptical about or don't think are going to work, it doesn't mean it's wrong. In fact, usually that means we're probably doing something right. Because right? who throws a banquet invites the poor and the lame and the blind and the crippled and those who cannot repay you, right? The world is not teaching us to do that. So may we be bold enough to live as Jesus taught us to in this text. It's countercultural or revolutionary as it is. May we be servants, ministers of hospitality, who are humbled in heart and determined in spirit. Let us be bold and unafraid to reach out to our neighbor in need. And not to lose heart when we are in ministry with those that society and the world tell us don't deserve it or don't need it.
Let this gospel remind us that it is in these moments that we are promised without a doubt that we will minister to and serve and be with Jesus himself who has already gone before us into these places to set our place at the banquet table. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And for further messages from our clergy, feel free to visit wordfromthemountaintop.org.